welcome back to uh, Consistently Candid. Um, I am here with Darren McKee. Uh, Darren, thank you so much for joining me. Hi there, happy to be here. Um, cool, so um, you've written this really awesome introduction to AI safety, uh, which is called Uncontrollable, the Threat of Artificial Superintelligence and the Race to Save the World. Um, yeah, I'm really grateful to you for writing this because it's probably like the most accessible text on uh, the issue of AI safety that I've found anywhere. Um, it really is like suitable for anyone, no matter how um, little background you might have on the subject. And there's like a, a striking lack of material like that, I think, um, which is kind of like surprising and a bit alarming given how possibly imminent the threat is and how much it will affect everyone. Um, so thank you for that. Um, do you want to say a little bit about your background and how you got involved in uh, AI safety and why you decided to write the book? Sure, and that, that's kind of you to say. And in a way, what you said is my response to the question, which is that I perceived a gap in available materials that could reach uh, broad people, you know, people without a technical background, even without a science background, on perhaps one of the most important issues of our time, AI, its advancing capabilities, and the risks. Uh, a bit more context there. So I've been uh, in the world of policy for about 15 years. I've also done a critical thinking science podcast called The Reality Check for about 15 years. And in both those domains, uh, just a lot of experience taking complex ideas in a wide range of uh, areas and domains um, and explaining it more accessibly uh, to people without such background. For the AI issue, I'd say for well a couple decades, it's been on the radar. There's been you know an interest or a concern, both from the oh technology advancing, isn't that interesting? In the late 90s, early 2000s, but then as time marches on into the 2010s and so on, you have more awareness of the subject of AI and its uh, issues or risk. We have Bostrom's Superintelligence, a book in from 2014, and Max Tegmark's uh, Life 3.0 in 2017. Anyway, and there's books like these that are coming out, and there's definitely uh, more organizations that are dedicated to this issue. People are raising awareness, Elon Musk has said things, Stuart Russell has a book. All I have to say is, I kind of felt like a lot of people were engaged in this issue, and I didn't see an obvious role for myself aside from like raising awareness, like running a local group, having discussions about it, book groups, sure, that sort of thing, but nothing will say more. And then in, we'll say March, April, 2022, some new AI models came out, uh, things started to really be picking up, Metaculus, the sort of forecasting prediction website. I think their projections for when more generally capable AI would arrive dropped about 10 years in a two week period. Mm. And that was like, a, oh, wow, okay. I think things are happening. Things are happening faster than people realized. And as such, then maybe now there is a role. Because as you said, there isn't a book or there wasn't a book uh, that is sort of built for everyone. And I thought there's probably not going to be in the next year or two. Uh, so I, that was my impetus, we'll say, for thinking, okay, I'll, I'll sort of go from just being generally interested and aware to more focusing uh, on this and trying to create something that could provide some value. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I had a similar reaction of like, oh my gosh, like no one's paying attention to this, but I like couldn't be bothered to write a book, so I just started tweeting instead. <laughs> well, that version. We, it, it takes a broad coalition. Uh, yeah. for, for me, it was because um, I started, we'll say, May, June 2022. That's, of course, just before ChatGPT came out in November 22, and the whole world kind of woke up. So the, the difficulty of writing this particular book uh, is that the landscape kept shifting. 
usually uh, to my favor, if you're trying to explain AI safety arguments or issues to people, it's a lot easier when stuff has already happened in the world. You don't have to say, what if? You can say, look, it already did happen, right? <laughs> or other people are concerned and there's sort of a consensus. It becomes less theoretical and more tangible to people. Uh, it's not good, of course, because things are happening so fast. So there's a, there's a pro and a con there. But uh, you know, as I've said to some friends, it's not a book about birds. Right, birds. <laughs> birds don't change much within a year, within six months, within a month, within a week. But with the AI thing, things kept changing. So I had to think about how I would write it such that it wouldn't be immediately out of date as soon as it came out. Yes, I tried to structure it such that there are some good reasons and, I say, rationales to be concerned about AI and its advancing capabilities, slightly separate from whatever recent new development there was. But yes, it did mm -hmm. require uh, some some editing and some really staying on top of things. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of um, kind of like arguments for why we should worry about AI. Um, I was kind of wondering if you were trying to convince someone who was like totally uninitiated to the whole thing. Um, what do you think is like the most compelling one or what's your like elevator pitch for like, you know, here's the like really short version of why we should be concerned about this? Right. I think it's a great question. So let's see. I would say there's several different factors that are coming together that create a risk. So things are happening very fast. We're living in exponential times. There's a period of rapid computational power and growth and capability. AI systems have become more capable and they are becoming more capable. That's kind of part one. Along with that capability, which is they're very powerful, we're not entirely sure if they'll do what we want. That's both in a technical sense of you as a user saying, I want you to achieve a certain goal, but broadly, whose interests are being served? Does everyone all agree? And what will happen if people who don't agree, who want to cause harm, try to use these systems? So that's the sort of alignment thing. S additionally, we have an issue of control. If systems don't do what we want, can we actually control them in certain ways? Can we stop them from doing so? It's not entirely clear we can do that at this moment either. And then all this creates a risk because there's so much uncertainty. So if any one of these things wasn't as um, significant, it may not be an issue. If the models weren't that powerful, Powerful, there's currently not much of a risk, right? If they did always what we wanted, it's also not much of a risk. If we could control them, also not too much of a risk. But because at the moment, very powerful, very fast moving, people are still figuring out exactly how they work and what they do. And all of that does create a lot of uncertainty. And that is the risk that I'm most concerned with. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so yeah, I was just thinking of kind of like some very like basic, well, not, not even counter arguments, but just like objections that someone might have if you were telling them about this for the first time, they'd never heard about it before, um, like what kind of things people tend to come back with. Um, and I think you cover uh, some of these in your book, but it might be good to kind of like, yeah, get some responses that people can use if they're like talking about this with um, other people. So the first one I kind of thought of, which will sound like very maybe silly to people who've been thinking about this for a long time, but I think is like the gut instinct of most people. If you tell them, hey, AI might be dangerous in the future, they'll say, oh, but it's in a computer. Like <laughs> it's software. How does it interact with the real world? Like sure, you know, intelligence is powerful, but it's not like magical. You know, if you don't have any kind of like physical form, then like why, how can you possibly do anything in the real world. Um, so like, what do you think is a good way to explain to someone why that's not actually like a compelling objection? <laughs> uh, these, this thing, this is a great section or a great series of questions we'll explore. I think um, before I answer this one, there's sort of a foundational thing here, which is like how to talk to anyone about any of this, right? 
And yeah. <laughs> if, if it's a one-on-one, -on -one, the best thing is to try to understand where they're coming from, their worldview, and other beliefs they have. I certainly find that when ha one is having discussions about AI risk and safety, there's maybe a, a surface objection, like you said, well, it's in a computer, how could it cause harm? But then there might be fundamental deeper ones, like people just almost can't believe or imagine that an AI could ever be so powerful, it could be a risk. And then I want to say, well, why really, like, there's a lot in the book, the limits of your imagination are not the limits of what's possible. If you look at the broad sweep of human history, we now live in a world of science fiction compared to our ancestors. And there's many things that we just take for granted that if you go far enough back in human history, it would just be unthinkable. It'd be unimaginable. Like, aside from, like, a social media influencer as being a job, <laughs> be like, oh, we can go to the moon and there are rockets and we can have podcasts across Earth and time and space and all these different things, which are just now commonplace for a lot of us on Earth. And so to try to sort of situate ourselves that we are in a certain place in history and time and development, and who's to say this is the end of progress? That doesn't really make sense when you frame it that way. So I just want to sort of frame the overall discussion of like, where are we now in human history? And if you look to the future, is it really that hard to believe that there's a possibility, a risk, that things could get much more powerful and get out of control? Uh, mm -hmm. So that wasn't an answer to your question directly. But if we're thinking about that, the question may be, how could a digital computer cause problems? And if that's the case, like, well, A, humans use computers right now to cause a lot of harm. There are trillions of cyber attacks happening all the time uh, throughout the year, right? There's like 70,000 attacks on the government, Canadian government each second, and that doesn't include businesses and everything else. There are computer viruses crawling the internet right now that people created and they got out of control people can't stop them and they just cause some harm so these things already happen right now if the um deeper concern is like well surely we can shut a computer down that seems plausible right that's usually the first thing i hear like can't we just turn it off it's like well not quite uh if it's a limited system that's not really connected to anything that would work but as i said with the computer viruses we currently can't just turn them off so in some limited sense or a limited example i'll say we already have things in place where they've sort of gotten away from humans and with AI systems, as they become more integrated in our society, they'll be harder and harder to sort of remove from society. And they'll be more integrated for like the obvious reasons. People want AI products, um, AI assistants, AI helpers, all these sorts of things. These are very desirable things. It's sort of like uh, right now the internet or social media. It's very integrated into how we live and it's not easy to extract it. Yeah, that makes sense. And then I guess the, the other question people tend to ask is like, well, why would it quote unquote want to do <laughs> to harm us? Um, yeah, what, what do you usually say to that one? Yeah, I think that's also a very important question. So first, again, I sort of complicate things and then try to give a more direct answer. Uh, if we think about the nature of what want is, what does that mean? Something doesn't have to want to cause harm to actually cause harm. And a good case example here is a, a biological virus. Viruses cause all sorts of harm on Earth. I, I don't think anyone really thinks viruses want to infect people. They just act in a manner as if they do or they are easy to describe as such. Similarly, I could see AI systems also acting in a manner, trying to achieve a goal that they're given, which then appears to the outside as something causing harm or manipulative or deceptive. And there's already been examples in, in simulated environments, in training situations, in evaluating evaluation situations where powerful AI models do engage in some deception, do seem to uh, show the capability of manipulation in certain ways. Now, it hasn't really happened uh, overtly in certain, in certain places in real world settings, but the possibility there. So with that in mind, then you start to think like, well, 
if an AI system that we're building is going to become increasingly intelligent, perhaps even super intelligent, say far beyond expert level human and maybe maybe far, far above that, it's very hard to uh, fully predict what it's going to be capable of. And so people most concerned in this space, yes, yeah, some people say there's a definitive risk, this can't possibly happen. And I think there's more, uh, or sorry, definitive outcome. And I just think there's more than there's just an obvious risk, meaning that we don't know enough about how they work that we can safely say, we'll build models, they'll be much more intelligent than us, and that's not gonna cause any problems. <laughs> because once uh, a model has a more, say, sophisticated worldview of its of itself, surrounding, so to speak, once it can engage in more long-term reasoning or planning, it may be able to be more sophisticated about its goals, like a person. It may then realize, oh, you know, if I have more capability and more power, I can achieve my goals more broadly. And then, like every person who understands, oh, if you have more power and resources, and this is how you know businesses, companies, governments, and humans function, uh, they try to acquire more power, power-seeking behavior, as they often call it in the AI space. And this could be, you know, a persuasion, it could be manipulation, deception, these sorts of things. Uh, and it's really hard to know exactly when an AI will or won't do something like this. And that's that's what I'm concerned about. Now, for people to say, well, why would it do it at all? Well, we don't know. Um, I think it's safer to say we don't know it wouldn't do it. I think that's a relatively uh, sort of cautious, prudent place to be that's more defensible. And because we're not sure it wouldn't do such things, we should be very careful. Yeah, I quite like the just kind of pointing out that it's very like there's a lot of historical precedent for less intelligent species having a bad time when a more intelligent species comes well, along. Yes, um, yes, you probably should have said more pithily like yeah, there's a reason gorillas are in our zoos and we're not in theirs, right? And it's yeah, not exactly. our charm yeah. or good looks, right? It's because we're more intelligent and we've been able to use that intelligence to manipulate the world around us. Yeah, and the gorillas could have never anticipated that we would d do something like that. No, <laughs> no, I guess I mean, our, yeah, our reasoning no. is like totally opaque to them. So, um, right. Or, or yeah. to give a more personal example, is something from the book. If you're trying to envision how capable a super intelligence might be, think to yourself. You are your own super intelligence. If you think back to yourself when you're four or five years old, you had a certain level of capabilities and intelligence more broadly. And now as an adult, you're very, very differently capable. So if you tried to explain to a four or five year old, your own self, say in the past, how capable you are now, you just couldn't do it that you could try, but they just wouldn't really understand just how capable you are. So somewhat similarly, if something is so much more powerful, it's hard to envision just how much more capable they'll be. Will they understand the universe uh, in a way that we don't quite? Uh, an example uh, is that Wi-Fi uh, was always possible, but humans only recently figured it out, right? And it's not that we suddenly, the laws of physics changed, is that we understood better how to manipulate and use them. Similarly, using Wi-Fi as a way to you know, surveil people, where you can see inside their room and find out where people are and moving around their homes, this was only discovered recently. And so there's all these sort of uh, hidden security risks and issues that people stumble upon. Then you go, oh, wow, I didn't know you could use that for that. But something more intelligent or a group of people in this case figure out how to do it. And maybe something much more intelligent would figure out all sorts of these things that we just currently can't see. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. OK, so um, I wrote a, um, a Twitter thread a while back, uh, which was kind of like, narrating my like subjective experience of being a person who like didn't know anything about AI, no technical background, like had a very different time parsing the different arguments and things. Um, and just kind of like what it's like to come in and just like look at the expert landscape and how like disorientating it is because nobody agrees on anything. And like people are kind of throwing around their, their P-dooms, which um, 
you know, almost sounds a little bit silly. And one person's like, mine is 90%. And someone else is like, mine is 12.75%. And, you know, all of this. And I think like, when people see that from the outside, it kind of almost like, it's so overwhelming. And it also, it, it appears kind of arbitrary, like people are pulling these numbers out of nowhere, like, you know, why are you coming down on this number and not some other number? Like, who should I listen to? Who should I not listen to? Um, so like, and my my kind of like, or, or like how I've dealt with that is just kind of going, well, if, if there's this level of uncertainty, then my stance is going to be like, caution <laughs> basically like as it makes sense like if you don't know what the outcome of something is going to be then you should be very very careful about whether you want to do it or not um but i think some people might have the reaction that's like oh clearly no one actually knows what they're talking about because there's so little consensus i'm just going to ignore this <laughs> um, so like what would you like if, if somebody's in that position they're like trying to research this like how would you suggest that they like navigate it and like orient themselves given that like lack of consensus yeah that that's a you put your finger on a great uh, issue right which uh, i try to spend some time on in the book because i felt the same way what are we doing there's so much disagreement how to even understand this and how to address a problem uh, the issue, of course, is that advanced AI is unprecedented, literally. There isn't anything like it. Usually, if you're trying to make assessments or predictions about, say, timelines or risk, uh, you can look to some reference sample. Like, you know, basically, this is how people make weather predictions. But also in economic or environmental or other types of things, there's some sort of data, there's some sort of trend line, there's some sort of historical reference. But with this uh, AI, we don't really have anything like it. Uh, there's other new technologies, so it's not quite the same. So all that to say is you can't use normal, say, prediction scenarios. And so what I suggest is trying to take a broad sample of different indicators to try to figure out how to think about this. And those could be a variety of things. The ones I've chosen are looking at some luminaries, AI, you know, key figures, what do they think, looking at some AI experts, and then looking at um, different uh, sources like the CEOs of AI companies and what do they say. And this isn't definitive, nothing will be, but because there's so much uncertainty, as, as you pointed out, I think it also leads to being cautious and prudent. If you, uh, I guess it depends on the analogy for something, right? If you have uh, a situation where, you know, nine out of 10 people say, oh, this restaurant's great, it's fine. And one of them say, Yo, you'll be poisoned. You're like, oh, uh, well, I, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> that's not just a bad Yelp review. That's that's very concerning, right? But it's, it's uh, not, not just that, because we're dealing with something much larger. So if you look at the surveys of AI experts, it was a recent one that just came out, usually there's 5 or 10% that think this could be widespread disempowerment of humanity or causing much harm. This is advanced AI systems. Now, again, no one has a crystal ball. People don't know, but that's their estimate. They are AI experts. That's what they think. There's key luminaries like Jeffrey Hinton and Yashua Bengio who are raising the alarm about AI running away, causing power, causing harm, sorry, with increasing powerful systems. Now, you could say Yon LeCun, which is another AI luminary. He's not concerned. And like, well, okay, so you have two out of three so-called AI godfathers who won this famous Turing Award. Uh, how many does it take to be concerned? Okay, it kind of depends on your risk profile, right? For me, the, the thing that's um, very compelling is this statement put up with the Center for AI Safety last May that mm. basically it was it was a paraphrasing it's that advanced AI is an extinction level threat which we should be addressing similar to pandemics or nuclear war 
And so who signed that statement? Well, you have Yashua Bengio, you have Yon Lacoon, you have various AI researchers, both in and outside of tech companies. You have public intellectuals like Daniel Dennett, David Chalmers, Bill Gates, Martin Rees, and these sorts of people. But you also have the CEOs of the leading AI companies. So then you have Sam Altman of OpenAI, Dennis Asambas of Google DeepMind, and Dario Amade of Anthropic. And so I just think most people on the outside don't realize the people who are at the forefront of building these products say themselves that their own product could kill everyone. It's a very odd dynamic. I don't think, I can't think of any other example in history, right? You have people who built nukes who clearly thought nuclear weapons could harm people, but the com comparable situation of, I don't know, a pharmaceutical executive coming out and saying, oh yes, we're working on some new pills, which may be great for a lot of people, and uh, it might just kill everyone though. They just, they don't say it. Like, it's, it's so bizarre. You might have a whistleblower say it, but the CEO to say the product we're building might kill everyone and we're gonna keep building it. And everyone goes, yeah, I guess. Or peculiarly, they say they're lying, um, which is also interesting, like a, a sort of anthropological, sociological, psychological event. Usually big businesses is not trust by a lot of people. So when a company says our product is safe, people say, well, you know, you can't really trust these companies. And now we have companies saying our product could be very, very dangerous. And like, well, you can't really trust them. I, that, then I would want to explore that like one-on-one, -on -one. like why do you think this is, right? Um, so in response, sometimes yeah. people say, well, it's regulatory capture, right? Oh, well, these companies, mm -hmm. they're just trying to you know manipulate regulations or exclude other people. And I, I don't quite buy it. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. They could say our product could be harmful, like say with using misinformation to harm elections, right? Or something like that. You could make a, I guess, a smaller claim without being so dramatic, right? Or Dario Amade saying, oh, our product has a 10 to 25% chance of human extinction. What? Like, I can't, like, I think like, most people, I think they actually don't believe the people that they're saying. It. I think they actually just don't believe them. But if you listen to these people and you get a sense of their history, I do think they're being sincere. Uh, that's my read on the situation. So, yeah. um, but the, I'm sort of droning on here, but I guess the fundamental thing is that decisions have to be made in the face of uncertainty. So while it is nice to say, oh, there's all this disagreement, look, I just, I'm just gonna be agnostic. I won't listen to any of these people. I don't agree with any of them. Therefore, implying I'll do nothing. That doesn't work though, because decisions have to be made now or even before now, because the EU AI Act has been under deliberation now for the past little while, especially recently trying to include general systems like AI models. Governments are moving forward with either legislation or like the Biden White House executive order. These things have already happened and they're based upon whether these things are risks or not. So if you're trying to think about like addressing a problem in the world, it often takes many years, or if not decades, to address a problem. Even if you don't do it well, you still try to address it. And it takes a lot of lead time, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So decisions have to be made now whether to include these things or not. And if you're in the space of really trying to solve the problem, you can't just say, ah, well, there's a lot of disagreement, I'll just abstain. That may be fine for the average person who doesn't want to get too involved. But for people who are more concerned, you kind of have to make a decision one way or another. And I think it's better to be cautious. Yeah, I agree. And also, I guess like doing nothing is isn't is itself, you know, that's an action. Like all of that, that's a choice. Um, like the hands-off approach, like has a lot of implications as well. Um, and yeah, like just picking up on that whole, yeah, like the the CEO of the companies come out and say our product might kill everyone, and everyone's like, oh, like this is marketing. <laughs> like it's it's kind of it's kind of hilarious. I don't or like regulatory capture or whatever or like. As if it yeah. was like a tried and tested marketing technique to I, say that, that their product was going to kill everyone in the world. Like, that's just not a thing. Um, it doesn't make sense <laughs> to me, right? I, to it me, doesn't it make just, any it, sense. It, it, like, it risks nationalization. 
if I'm a, you know, let's say the U.S. government or some other government, like, oh, okay, there's someone on Earth, even within our national boundaries, saying that their product might harm our citizens, we have a responsibility to ensure that does not happen, and that could lead to a strong government intervention. So, yeah, that's why it doesn't make as much sense to me either. Yeah, and I, I, you mentioned Dario Amadeus, um, yeah, him, him stating that his probability of catastrophe was 10 to 25%. I think it was I, I appreciated that he actually put a number on it, which I think he might be the only, I think he might be the only CEO to have actually done that. I think the others tend to be less um, specific about it, but he did yeah. say it so, so yes. casually when he was yes. interviewed. He's like, yeah, 10, 25 percent, I don't know. <laughs> right. And so, you know, within that range is like Russian roulette, right? Which is, you know, 16, yeah. 17% when you look at it. And so, I, again, I really think the outside world doesn't realize some of the people at the forefront are like you know spinning the revolver and uh, pressing click um that's really what's happening it's very bizarre uh, and i think the the emotional discomfort is uh also inhibiting people from realizing what we need to do to try to address some of these things yeah do you think like kind of coming on le uh, leading off of that slightly like what are the biggest like misconceptions that you think people have like maybe if they know a little bit about this but not that much like what do you think people are getting wrong about like AI safety as a topic? That's a good question. So I think, yeah, we've covered some of that, that they, they realize there's massive disagreement, but there's also a lot of consensus, right? There's not unanimity, but there is some consensus. Like there's a wide range of people across a wide range of domains that are concerned about this issue. So that, that counts for something. Again, it's not say like climate change where we have decades or centuries of data in that way, but there's the logic, as I said, like, well, computer chips are getting more powerful. AI systems are capable, they've recently become more capable, and they keep being numerous examples of, oh, we didn't know it could do that, or we trained a model for something, and it turns out it can do something else, or it can be manipulated, or it can be hacked, or it can be broken down. And again, these systems work in ways that um, are very opaque. Like, there's obviously a general understanding of how they work, but in detail, that's just not available. And I think uh, perhaps a lot of people think, well, humans are building these systems, they're very smart people, surely they know how it works. And the, not quite, not really, right? Uh, if an AI model this is one of these sort of jailbreak issues, you input the word poem 20 times in a row, it started to feed back uh, personal information, like phone numbers and addresses of people. And again, this is so foreign to how any human would function. Like if I said, oh, give me some information, you're like, no, and I'm just to say poem at you many times, <laughs> and then you break down, that doesn't make any sense, right? It's so, it's so different. So the models function in a way that's different and not fully understood. The, the risks are much higher acknowledged by the people in it. And I think also people may not realize just how fast everything's moving. And again, how hard it is to address uh, complications, change, or solving any problems. Yeah, I would agree. I think the other thing, yeah, when you were talking about like what what there is consensus about, like the level of consensus that like there's nothing special about biological intelligence and that like basically everyone agrees that we can replicate replicate human level intelligence digitally and that we will do that at some point. And the disagreement is more around like when we'll do that than like if we can do that. I don't think people realize that either. They, they like they think that that's kind of still an open question whether that's even possible and basically everyone agrees that it is. Um, yes, I think that's a good point. Me. Yeah, that a lot of, basically the people who are in this space which are uh, of a certain probably worldview, sciencey worldview, probably think yes, intelligence is a matter of different parts coming together to create 
performance and output, and a biological system does it in some ways, and a computer system can do it in others. I think you're right. There's very few people who say, like, this will never happen and never be done. So then it's about, well, when? And if there's disagreement about when, right, do you want to be caught off guard or do you want to be prepared? And in life, you can rarely sort of allocate resources perfectly. So I think it's better to be overprepared than underprepared if one has to choose. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I guess another thing that I just like wanted to chat about was um, like, the, I mean, most of the information or like most of the way that I'm interacting with the debate is on Twitter. So maybe I'm not getting the best, <laughs> best idea of how all the debates actually playing out in the real world. But like the level of like polarization and almost like toxicity that there is between these like two kind of like warring sides, like the people that want to pause and the people that want to accelerate and like just the like yeah, the, the lack of nuance and the like everyone yelling at each other, um, it's just terrible. <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> and I was like kind of curious for your take on like how to navigate that because I think like I, I personally have repeatedly received the criticism that like I have like a, an anonymous feedback thing and like multiple people have kind of said to me that I um, like I shouldn't even be weighing in on this because I'm a lay person. And if like, they're basically saying, if you don't have the expertise, like you, you don't get to have a stance because it's so complicated. You couldn't possibly understand what you're actually advocating for when you talk about um, pausing or slowing down. And therefore it would be better if you stop talking. Um, so like, it's, um, which is interesting. It's an interesting, like, it's, it's strange that people say that because it's kind of like, if the people that are making these systems can go on the record and say that they think they're, they, they literally acknowledge that they're imposing, imposing these really extreme risks on everyone. And yet somehow like people who don't have the technical knowledge are expected to just not have anything to say about that. Like that's kind of bizarre, but yeah, I, d I don't know like what you think about kind of like um, the way that the debate's playing out or like, yeah, like how can we have like a nuanced take when everything seems to be so, kind of like polarized. I went off on one a bit there, but um, that's okay. Yeah. So a couple <laughs> different issues, which would be like, you know, the conversation itself where other people can weigh in on it or not and like what to do in general. So let's yeah. go to the, the second one, weigh, weighing in or not. As you said, AI affects everyone. And if you're not engaged or involved, someone else will decide your future for you. And saying that, you know, the average person can't weigh in at all, uh, well, in a way, that's undemocratic, right? Uh, we allow people to vote for representatives and to have opinions about how they want their world to be, uh, even if they're not experts in an issue. And then we're sort of trying to be more charitable. There could be someone like, well, you know, I'm not going to say, offer a lot of advice on uh, quantum computing policy, right? It's like, well, that is a very complicated space. I don't necessarily have opinions about it, but as and, and numerous other domains, right? Like when it gets into the weeds of either environment or economics or almost anything, it is very complicated. The average person may not know as much uh, about what's going on, but they can still say like, I want to have a stable job. I don't want to be say unemployed due to AI, or I want a healthy environment. And then hopefully other people take that on board. In the AI case, as you said, if the people who are building it say this could kill everyone and you Say, hey, I don't want that. Uh, that seems like a very reasonable position to hold. Um, exactly, say how a pause would work or not. I think that would depend on a, a case by case basis. All that to say is that I, I, I fully think that people should be allowed, you know, freedom of speech and whatnot, to weigh in. And I think, um, depending on one's background and context, that may be more useful or not, depending on who you are. But I, I do encourage everyone basically to get more involved, uh, and that's why the book exists to try to help people mm, become more aware of some of the key issues. 
whether we can have productive conversations on Twitter at all, I think is maybe the, the broader yeah. <laughs> issue, let alone about AI. So when some people have asked like, well, how do you talk to people about this? And it is a bit of the medium is the message. You could imagine a one-on-one -on -one conversation is gonna be so different than an online Twitter conversation. And I guess to the extent that one can um, have, well, kindness in some ways, but broader compassion, like where is someone coming from? What is their worldview? Why are they so concerned about X versus Y and that sort of thing to try to gain insight? Usually, you know, Twitter, it's great to try to dunk on people, but that rarely changes minds. Um, even when people are hostile, it seems like it's probably best to not so-called fight back, but just, you know, respond with reason and again, sort of empathy in the broad sense of the word, but push back, of course. If someone's being aggressive, you can push back. If someone's being rude and that's inappropriate, you can push back. But there's ways to do it, I guess, with a bit more um, grace and tact. With the sole pause kind of versus accelerationist, which I think is what you're hitting at, I think uh, there are people who fully understand each other and still fully disagree. But I also think there's a decent contingent that probably don't fully understand each other, and therefore their disagreement may not be as strong as it first seems, right? Depending on who I talk to, some people think people who want to pause for this are just sort of anti-technology in general, and that's rarely the case of people who are pausing for AI. So I guess um, the low-hanging fruit would be trying to clear up the misconceptions, whether people believe you or not is tricky. Uh, it could be just not being on Twitter as much. I don't know. There's pros and cons to this too, right? Because if you feel, I don't know, that there's a a gaining social movement which misunderstands a key position you hold, then you clearly want to be engaged to try to correct that. Uh, it's just very difficult to know if, if Twitter is the right way to do it. But um, yeah, I, I don't have any magic bullets here aside from trying to be sort of consistently kind and reasonable and, and articulate and trying to, uh, as much as possible, kind of have like a one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, you can't just message everyone, uh, direct message everyone, but like, why why do we disagree on this? What's the main issue, right? Is it really the case that we both think there's a 10% chance of extinction? I just think we shouldn't go forward and you think we should, or is it something different? Like, what are the cruxes here? What's going on? There are, you know, I, I see numerous bad arguments is what I would say about what people think about AI safety and that sort of thing. And I also want to correct those um, and it's been unfortunate. And other people seem to be so-called doing that work. Um, but yeah, Twitter, um, <laughs> Twitter is a, a very useful thing in some ways and also very problematic. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I probably do need to find a, a better, better platform to try and make my case because I do, keep trying to clarify over and over again what I actually think and um I'm not always listened to but that's okay like I, I agree with you it's not it's not the best it's not the best platform it is fun well, though well I um, guess yes <laughs> right so, so some, I guess one should know what they're doing like are you is one engaged in advocacy is it kind of entertainment is it sparring is it sparring for good or sparring for fun uh I've you know there's been times in the past where some people who challenge you and even though they may be not the kindest uh, about it that can be very useful right? a good challenging interlocutor can be good for growth and refining your own positions but there are other people they're not uh outed for the greater good they're not actually trying to help you grow they don't really care what you think and when you try to clarify it doesn't matter and so for those people I would probably try to disengage as fast as possible if you can see that okay our goals are not like clarity and understanding and some sort of at least basic respect then you know that's where you disengage you don't respond you block if needed and that sort of thing yeah totally i would agree 
Um, yeah, it's funny. It's funny. I, <laughs> I feel like I came on Twitter because I, you know, saw these people building these systems. They're like, the systems might kill everyone. And I'm like, stop building those, please. And then everyone on Twitter is like, come back when you have a PhD in machine learning. What is wrong with you? Uh, None of your business. <laughs> right. So, like, so Joshua Bengio or Jeffrey Hinton, like the, the most cited people in the world about computer science stuff, like, hey, stop building these things. And then what? Right. I, I feel like yeah. Yeah, people are being... Um, they're doing a weird, uh, uh, like the opposite of deference to authority, right? That because you have no credentialism, I guess, in some way, that yeah. your view doesn't matter when you're like, well, okay, then just quote, well, Jeffrey Hinton says this, now what? I think they can dismiss him too for other reasons, but then you realize again what, what they're saying, right? So they don't believe the CEOs, they don't believe the safety researchers with decades of experience. It's, a, it's, an, odd, it's, an, odd, it's an odd space at the moment, for sure. People will find any reason to dismiss. I, I think my favorite one was, yeah, I tried citing Jeffrey Hinton, and this person went, yeah, well, Jeffrey Hinton is a socialist. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Oh, that's a total non sequitur, but okay. Yes, anyway. yes it is. It's, uh, it's called the genetic fallacy. It's like, well, ideas are true on their own or not, uh, regardless of uh, other things, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, yeah, so um, I guess like well, I'm wary of your time. So I want to quickly talk about the last section of your book where you talk about um, your risk. I think you have eight risk mitigation strategies. Um, and you mentioned like things like, I think you talk about like uh, capabilities, evaluations and liability and compute governance and like all like, yeah, really good things that I can like totally get behind. Um, you kind of don't go so far as to suggest that we should have some kind of like pause or moratorium. Um, I guess I would come down on the side that of whether or not it's we succeed, we should try to have one. Um, I'm curious whether, because I know that there are a lot of people who who would say, oh, in an ideal world, if we could wave, wave a magic wand and make everyone pause, that would be great. But the reason they don't actually support that is because they don't think we can coordinate effectively enough to actually do that. So um, is that kind of your stance that it would be great if we could, but we probably can't. Or is there like some other reason why you don't think that that would be a good idea? <laughs> right. That well, well said. So that it's a bit of that, but I'll I'll add a bit more nuance or just share how I'm seeing it. So, what is AI at the moment? Right? Is it a consumer product? Is it a weapon? Is it other things? And because at the moment it is perceived as a consumer product, there is a great incentive to keep developing it because economic innovation, GDP growth, uh, the things that the world kind of runs on and highly values are very resistant to stopping growth in the economic sense and technological sense, which relate to each other. So there's that aspect, especially when a US Senator said like, a pause is not an option. I was like, okay, well, maybe that's not definitive, but that's certainly a data point of whether that would succeed or not. There's another one, which is that if I'm trying to be, uh, take a big step back, like what do I actually want? What I want is safe AI that does all these wonderful things, right? Hopefully there are medical advances. Hopefully there are ways of helping out the world um, of understanding how to allocate resources to help people in all these sorts of ways. So what I really want is safe AI. That's why I use the term safe AI innovation. The pause, is um, almost the proxy for the thing that I want versus the thing itself. So uh, the way I was seeing it is that I want to get to safe AI innovation and the way to do that is all these proposals, which by the way, I think if followed uh, or implemented strictly would perhaps slow down some development because the evaluations and audits should be meaningful. They should be detailed, they should have teeth. Uh, there should be licensing. There should be some liability, as you said, compute governance. So there's all these ways to ensure that things are safe. And I think it's, um, 
as a, as a strategic move, at least at this moment in time, if you say to a company, look, you can build whatever you want, it just has to be safe. That makes sense, right? That's an easier argument saying that you can't build the thing you want, the investors want, and a lot of the world wants you to build. Yeah, so so it's kind of, a, you might end up with a sort of like um, a pause or a slowdown happening as a side effect if the companies can't prove that the next iteration of their product, product is going to be safe, is kind of what you... It's, it's, yeah, sure. It's entirely possible. It's sort of, again, like, well, what do we want? We, I, I want safe AI. The companies want safe AI, ideally. They may not care. Uh, they may, may not want as much safety as say, I want or citizens want because we know there's differently aligned incentives there. But uh, yeah, I was sort of thinking about, well, what's more likely to succeed? Uh, a pause, like the whole world is going to slow down, including, say, North Korea, Iran, or China and other places. That seems very hard to implement at this stage. Uh, on, on the flip side, the pause or moratorium does have a more direct message, right? I can understand strategically, tactically, the, the pros and cons here, that if like, well, what are you trying to do? A stop AI before it kills everyone. Kills everyone. Like, okay, well, that, that's a clearer, simpler message, right, than something a bit more nuanced, which was I was trying to advocate. But I think if we look at... Um, well, AI is already causing harms, and people don't seem to care enough about those. I mean, people are concerned, of course, but not enough to really stop things. I think it's just highlighting there's already harm being caused. The possibility of harm is right here, right? Whether it's phone scams or deepfake pornography or numerous other things. So why don't we spend a lot more effort to try to make these things safe before they do more? Yeah, I guess I, guess I uh, with the sort of like international coordination aspect, um, it seems like in the immediate term, we only really need, like, say, I don't know, the US and China to cooperate, right? And there are already, like, kind of noises coming out of the uh, safety summit from late last year that, you know, China is, like, cognizant of some of these risks. And then I guess places like Russia and North Korea, yeah, you're right, they're probably going to be harder to get on side, but that seems like a kind of uh, later issue. Um, so I guess sometimes people will say things like, oh, well, you know, if you have this like you cooperation now all you're doing is like kicking the can down the road and eventually you're going to run into all these issues and i'm kind of like yeah but i think there's like a lot to be said for kicking the can down the road <laughs> like buying time seems valuable um and maybe if you can build up a, in in this pause period um if you can build up a good enough scientific consensus about the risks then maybe even you know rogue states are going to get on board because presumably their leaders are just as self-interested as everyone else and also don't want to like accidentally blow up the whole world um but right. i think yeah it's true that the the pause doesn't seem like a uh well, a long-term solution but like in in my head it's like oh well the the capabilities are going so fast the safety is going so much more slowly like we should just like get ahead of it right now and like stop until we can all figure out what we're doing kind of thing. No, no I, I, you know, if it was like a group of five people, that totally makes sense. But as you said, with international collaboration, so let's let's play it through a little bit. Again, there's, there's pros and cons here, and I don't feel like 100% one way or another. Uh, but if you're trying to pause, well, what is being paused in your in your eyes when you think when you say those words? I guess I'm imagining only kind of like the small handful of companies that are doing like frontier development, like the ones that are trying to make general purpose systems that are scaling towards AGI. I'm not imagining like every, I'm not imagining like the whole AI industry or anything like that. Right. Um, right. That seems so, like in the immediate term, it wouldn't be too hard to. So, pause. so is it, is it a, like, again, they're sort of playing it through devil's advocate ish. Um, is it governments now pass laws that prohibit these companies from functioning? Yeah, 
pretty pretty much. <laughs> okay. So then the the, the, the employee the employees um, just don't work, or they're all fired. Well. I guess I haven't thought it thought it, thought it through in, in, in that much detail, but um, well, so at the moment maybe I we could just we just pay them to take a really long holiday. <laughs> okay, so when you say we pay them, who's we? The the you, you know the the, the government. Um, well, see, so, you see, I haven't I thought it through in this much detail, or, or maybe well, so, they all have to go and do safety research instead, and they get paid to do that, or. Uh, Right. So, so again, it's yeah. not, again, it's not that it's impossible, but again, if you start to think through like, okay, well, where do they get the money? Well, someone has to pay them. Well, because they can't develop their products, now their company is worth a lot less. Stock value's just gone down. There's less money around. People can't cash out, whatever it is. And if they're then going to be paid as safety researchers, like currently, you know, government salaries are not in the hundreds of thousands or millions that some of these top tier AI researchers can get. So then you would need, again, like you sort of picture through like some sort of either UK, depending on, you know, what AI companies there, but it's mainly US. So the US Congress is going to have to agree to allocate millions and millions of dollars to these former capabilities researchers now doing AI safety. Well, of course, almost everyone there is going to say, but China, right? In the book, I try to address that very briefly that, you know, as AI advances, it's both empowers everyone, but it also creates risk. That's what it is. AI is a very empowering tool. So if you want to do great things, you'll be easier to do those. If you want to cause harm, it'll be easier to do that. And it is the quickest way to advance everyone's capabilities is to create a new product with more capabilities, right? Because then the older one usually becomes more available through diffusion or whatnot. Um, so I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that if you could get everyone to agree that there's actually the risks that we think there are, then maybe that might be viable. But at the moment, even though the people building the products, as we said, are saying this might cause extinction, people still don't believe them. So um, mm -hmm. I think it becomes harder to get the political will to get people, as you said, to pause because it's a uh, it's very new territory. Like again, some some companies do get nationalized. Uh, by different countries, but usually uh, that's not, let's say, Western companies. It's not lately, and so that's a that's a dangerous precedent for all sorts of reasons that people are going to be very resistant to. And, uh, and then you start thinking through, well, the other, as you said, the other countries won't necessarily stop, so they'll kind of catch up. If it was truly a pause where people aren't even doing like technical research to make systems more capable, uh, they might lose the comparative advantage that they currently have, which will be, again, less appealing from a both economic and security standpoint. So um, it's for those reasons that I thought, like, okay, I kind of see, like, the economic train is moving, and it's going to be very hard to stop that movement at all, but perhaps we can make the train a lot safer right, by doing the things that in theory we want, like people want reliable systems, people don't want, you know, their child turning into pornography, they don't want being scammed, they don't want cyber attacks, they don't want bioweapons becoming more available, they don't want AI going rogue, they really don't want all these things. Um, so how can we just convince them of those possible risks? Yeah, I agree. I, I guess in my head, it's kind of more like, um, yeah, I can see all of these possible problems that maybe I haven't thought through all of the um, the obstacles in that much depth, but I, I guess it's more the way I think of it is like, okay, so you, you're, we're, we're planning to go ahead with this thing. We think it poses these extreme risks, even if like all of these coordination issues or all of these kind of like practical issues of like, you know, maybe all these AI researchers have to take a big pay cut or whatever, or maybe we have to do all these, like all this complicated, complicated uh, legislation that we've never done before. It kind of seems like there's almost like a, a moral obligation to put this like monumental effort into to trying to do the thing, um, even if even if it turns out uh, not to work. Um, well, but... so I agree with the monumental effort 
And I guess at the moment, I would focusing it on just on people understanding that these risks are real enough to be very concerned. And then, as yeah. I say in the book, the ghost thing. So even with, um, we'll say, like, you're concerned about pause, as you said, most of the proposals, uh, most sort of pause or moratorium people can get behind, right? Like, okay, it's not like if you're for a pause, you're going to be against more regulation, oversight, yeah. transparency, yeah. like all these, all these things are generally good. So that's kind of like the, again, in the, in the world of, you know, trying to get things done, like, okay, you have a view, or one person has a view, another person has another view, like, where do we agree? Where do we disagree? Can we agree on policy proposals or broader societal proposals to move forward on this? And I, I kind of just want like a broader, Know, national international conversation like what's going on who's in charge who's making the decisions that do affect everyone as you're saying and how to get more people uh sort of brought up to speed a bit or at least empowered to be concerned right i don't think again you don't need a, a technical background to say like hey i don't want ai uh, harming me or my family uh, one way or another yeah totally agree um yeah uh, we'll definitely wrap up soon but um i guess just really quick last sure, question sure. I, I got five or ten minutes um, it doesn't have to end on one exactly. yeah. <laughs> um so if someone has been listening to this and they're like i'm an ordinary person i don't necessarily have a tech background but i want to do something what are some suggestions of things that people can do sure sure final chapter of the book so really <laughs> there's a there's a there's a place for everyone uh, although it may be difficult and frustrating sometimes. And I only say that because I think if if one's honest, it's hard to have a large impact on anything, right? If you think of any large sort of global problem, no one's in complete control, no one, nor should anyone be, right? We don't want one person to have so much power. So from the, the sort of the smaller uh, aspects and uh, initiatives you can take, there are a wide range of things which are kind of what people already know but don't often implement contacting your political representative saying simply like how are you dealing with ai how are you going to ensure i'm safe from ai uh, as as it's easy to often listen to a podcast for an hour or two instead of spending five minutes writing a letter to your representative i think people should of course do both i think just increasing understanding of the issue is good right podcasts like this and other ones of the book i'm trying to write or wrote or and other books out there and uh, numerous forum posts and as you know there's a ai explained youtube channel which i quite like so oh, yeah. i think uh, yeah, so uh, just sort of becoming more aware, as you said, like, it's, it's important to understand that everyone can have an opinion. But of course, the more informed you are, the better that is for the world and the outcomes that you want. Uh, depending on who you are and what stage you are in your career, you could try to work in the space of AI safety. And maybe you're not technical. I wasn't either. But I'd like, okay, I think I could write a book and that, that seemed to go decently. But when I was writing the book, of course, I needed help from other people to do some editing, to do some proofreading, to give me some suggestions on design. And so then you realize like every skill is needed somewhere, right? So if you like event planning, well, that's stuff related to AI safety. If you do operational stuff or logistical coordination stuff, that's needed somewhere for AI safety. Now, whether you can easily find that job, that's, of course, always the problem in this world where you can try to match your skills with the actual employment opportunities. But just to understand that people have a wide range of options from advocacy, awareness, again, talking to others, that could be just a very high leverage thing. The more you are one communicates to the risks to others and have them understand why it's such a concern, they talk to other people and that builds a broader social coalition, when we say our social movement, which I think is, again, one aspect of trying to get at this particular problem. You could donate. Uh, there's, again, there's numerous ways to go about this and so i think people should realize that they can do something it's very easy to slip into notions of futility when you're reading about the stuff like is it, you know is it actually end of the world stuff do we have limited time left and I, I understand that but usually just feeling sad or even angry doesn't help solve a problem so try to channel some of that into solutions and although it may
in, it's still better to try, right? It's you, you're more likely to find a solution if you're looking for it. And um, I guess, yeah, broadly speaking, uh, my hope comes in from trying to understand this problem and uh, realizing that we're more likely to find solutions if we try. I don't think you can kind of easily rationalize yourself into hope, but I do think you can try to rationalize yourself away from hopelessness. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it makes more sense to behave as if there's something you can do than, than right. to behave as if there's nothing you can do, because, you know, even if it turns out that you fail, um, you know, you'll, you'll definitely fail if you don't try. Um, I also think it's, um, people probably overestimate how many people there actually are working on this. <laughs> it's like yes. still a, a, a small a small number of people and it's, um, you can kind of get to the, I've said this before, but you can get to the center of it quite easily and get in contact with people who are like quite well known in the space pretty easily. It's like, um, it's not, yeah, it's not like a large, a large field. Um, so I think people, right. if they think they can contribute, they probably can. <laughs> um, yes. There's some great so, opportunities. Yeah, totally agree. Um, so I'll put a link in the description to where people can get hold of your book and I'll link your Twitter as well. But is there anywhere else that people can uh, find you that you want to let people know about? Oh, that that's mainly it. Twitter's fine. I'm also on LinkedIn. Twitter's you know, fine. LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah on, on my name. Yeah, that's that's great. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you for having me.